Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. Welcome to Elvis Targeted Individual Community Call. It's Thursday, July 14th, 2016. <clears throat> so I'm going to talk about uh, something that happened, but well, we all know what's been happening with these uh, police shootings. One was Alton Sterling. And um, it's about the two people who posted the videos. Because right now, without the video documentation, it appears that it's like nothing happened. So as targets, we know, or I've, I've continually talked about uh, uh, documenting. You know, utilizing your, like right now I'm using a cell phone camera <clears throat> as the, um, I'm using a cell phone camera as my dash cam because it has a longer battery. A lot of the dash cams, their battery life isn't too good and it can't hold too much information, but the cell phone, it, takes relatively decent um, videos and it can it has a longer battery life and you can put it you know the SD card in there the micro SD card <clears throat> so for documentation purpose and I've always documented but they've managed to manipulate like the the cell phone that I have right now that I'm talking off of um, they've destroyed the ability to view any video or or photo <clears throat> because they put virus, I don't know, malware or whatever you want to call it, and it manipulated the software so that I'm unable to view uh, anything that I've done or photos or videos because what I've always done was I do things in near what's called near real time. So I've always documented it, and then I would used to send it to myself, whether it was an email or a, <coughs> a, um, a, a text or whatever, so that it's, it's done and it's documented, it's date stamped and everything. Um, but they would always manipulate my abilities to do this type of documentation. <clears throat> so I'm noticing <clears throat> with these, this Black Lives Matter movement and these assassinations of these young African-American men, um, they're starting to document. And they're getting wiser in how they document. So one thing you, you need to do is if you're documenting something, if you have a micro SD card, you need to pop that card out so that if something is confiscated or if, because a lot of times they can get backdoor entrances. And if they have backdoor entrance, they'll delete information from the phone because that's happened on numerous occasions. So if I didn't send it to myself, by the time I went to get it, it was already deleted. But that's because I'm targeted. <clears throat> so they're on me 24-7, 365. So for these young people who are documenting, when they see these type of incidents transpiring, it's best to pull out the camera, document, and then if there's law enforcement there, you know ultimately they'll see that you were a witness. So the first thing they'll try to do is confiscate what type of documenting you did. Before that happens, what, has, what you need to do is you need to either, and probably the best way to do it is to have some type of cloud service where you could drop it into a cloud service, and you might have to pay a little bit more so that you have more memory 
in those cloud services so that you could just pop those videos. And then it's, it's, it, regardless of what they do to the phone, it exists somewhere else. And that was my first thing that I learned as a victim of these type of targetings is that you have to document. And the next thing is because because I'm twenty you know twenty four seven three sixty five, they have managed to manipulate or get backdoor access into any type of electronic capability, and they sweep through it and they delete or they corrupt my ability to be able to document. Now in these cases, they don't have that. They probably won't get it now. But now that people are uploading these videos, I'm sure those people go on a list. So I've been doing it for years. And so the next move that the movement has to make is when you're documenting, you have to save it and get it out or get it somewhere so that if your electronic is corrupted, destroyed, confiscated, it exists somewhere else. I've been doing it for years until they flat out just took away my abilities to do pretty much anything until I got... Um, another cell phone that I just use for videotaping without a service. But cloud server is probably the best because you could get it up there and down and, and, and then upload it to YouTube or wherever you need to put it because I use YouTube. You don't have to publish it. You just need to document it. So even if they confiscated your electronic, whether you had an iPad or some other electronic device, you know, iPod or whatever that you could videotape with, even if they confiscated it, if you have moved it to another location or you removed the micro SD card that it recorded on, then they have a much harder time because it still exists. But anyway, there's a gentleman who was the second person, the the store owner. <clears throat> Was one, and then there was, and I'm going to play the video because it talked. Uh, it was both of the gentlemen who uploaded the videos and what they've gone through. One of them is a gentleman by the name of Chris Lede. He's a former or uh, Air Force veteran, and when he was telling his story, it was right out of the book of targeting. It's a tactical operation, and it wants to achieve a certain outcome to shape a particular narrative. And what it is, is <clears throat> it's done in public settings in order to publicly humiliate that person and hopefully get that person to react negatively so then they can utilize that information. So it serves an outcome. So there's an outcome and then the theater is set up. So because this, it appears that because this... Uh, former Air Force veteran, and he said that he was OIF. He's an Air, he served in the Air Force, OIF. That's Operation Iraqi Freedom. So this man served this country. What he saw, or someone else had videotaped, and he gained access to it, and he uploaded it for that person. And because he did that, the first thing you get is your military, national security. Because they can get all that information, his Facebook page, etc. They know they can spot on know who the person is. Oh, look, he's got a contract job at a Georgia Air Force base. Well, let's set up the operation so that we can get the outcome, so we can shape the narrative 
That's standard operating procedure. It's right out of targeting 101. And if you're a true target, you know what that's all about. Set up, provoke, in the hope that the target will act negatively enough so that they could try to justify the narrative, shaping the narrative. Humiliating, publicly humiliating the individual. Power of suggestion, power of association. Man goes to base. Everybody sees him. Police all over, military police, local law enforcement, etc. All he's trying to do is go to work. Sit out there for a long time. All the drama, all the police drama. You see my videos from the fire trucks to the one where they're, they have the not, less lethals and the shotguns. All the police drama. All the setup. Drag him in. Then they recognize him, take him into the base, detain him there. Tell him that he's, tell him, because see, remember the power of suggestion, the power of association. So they say it's uh, he, he's um, uh, an assault charge against him, which wasn't true, but it's still being said by someone in a position of power, authority, and or expertise making the claim, in this case law enforcement, whether it's military police and or local law enforcement, there's a warrant for your arrest for assault. That's the first impression. So all these MPs and all these Mickey Mouse people and everyone around, oh, look at all this police out here. There's something going on. Oh, it's this, this black guy over here. You know, his name is so-and-so, and it looks like he's being arrested for assault. There's a warrant for his arrest. See, all the negative, shaping a narrative about what you think somebody is. That's the first impression. So you're creating a scenario, street theater, on taxpayer dollars. So while he's being detained and they're getting ready to take him to the, you know, the, the, the police station, the local police station, they put him in shackles. Oh, he must be a really violent person. He's in shackles now. These are all these first impressions of people who are on the outside looking at this. Shaping a negative, false light narrative on a first impression. The smear, fear, hate, retaliation, and revenge campaign. Nobody knows it better than a targeted victim who's come forward to all proper authorities over the years at the local, state, and federal level. Non-government organizations, lawyer after lawyer, and law firm after law firm. But then again, you're going to the very people who are corrupted in the system, asking them for help, or who are the same ones orchestrating the theatrics to shape a negative false light narrative on a first impression or strangers looking in from the outside about who that person is. First degree provocation in the hopes that that individual, this young man, would react negatively so that they could then have their excuse and their justification. 
all orchestrated. Why did the military, apparently the military was the one who called in because they were doing a background check because he was getting a job at the Air Force. This man served this country in the Air Force. Operation Iraqi Freedom, OIF. He just uploaded a video. NSA gets involved because they know that he's one of the people because the first thing they do is sweep who uploaded. Your information is there. So this man is being completely falsely accused. Targets know all about that one. Publicly humiliated. Targets know all about that one. Because they're retaliating against him because he uploaded the video for someone else. It's a tactical operation, too, that has an outcome that they've perfected over the years at the expense of targeted individuals' human living lives. Target practice to perfect the technique. So when they need to do a hit, because that's really what it is, it's an assassination, character and credibility assassination, publicly humiliating an individual so that that person will choose career over cause. These are all tactical operations that are documented. Team Themis talked very in-depth about this oppositional research on people so that you could destroy them so that they'd stop fighting for social justice or for some cause. By destroying that person publicly, it's all written in the tactical operations. And it started with the United States Department of Motherfucking Defense. Information operations. And then it trickles all the way down. So what happens to this guy? Everybody's seen it because, you know, you have all these police out there and they're probably wondering what's going on. Is it a terrorist attack? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Then they, they hear the rumors because you know how these perpetrators like to spread the rumors. So this guy's sitting there knowing he, he, what assault charge? He doesn't know anything about it because he's not guilty of assault. And they got to go through all that hoopla and, 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 and time. Boy, do they like to waste fucking time. And they got to get all their people out there and they got to pretend like they really give a fuck and they're really concerned about the whole thing. It's all fucking theater. It's a goddamn production to destroy somebody else's human living life. And when he told this story, it was like, yeah, I know all about that. They use targets like me for target practice so that these motherfuckers could perfect the technique on how to do it. So when they decided later down the road or when they needed it, they have a guidebook 
Oh, okay, uh, let's flip through here. This situation, he's got a warrant here, but it's only for traffic tickets or for, for parking violation. But we'll make it look like it's assault and battery and it's something super, super, super dangerous. That way everybody will fear. The smear, fear, hate, retaliation, or revenge campaign. But it's a tactical operation. Mainly, psychological operation. Because not only is it doing a number psychologically on the individual who is the target, but the psychological effect it has on that first impression of all those military people on the Air Force Base that happened to be there that day looking at all this stuff, thinking that guy's really dangerous. We might not want him here at this job because they also go after your career. That's the first place they went on me. Shit, they walked in to Sony Pictures Entertainment on the 22nd floor of Wilshire Boulevard building. They set up fucking operations in the conference room. And they guided my peers and management on what they needed to do in the workplace to blitz me and terrorize me out of my job. And the first place I went was down to 11,000 Wilshire Boulevard, which is the federal building. They have a cafeteria over there where the feds go to eat lunch and the other people who work in that building. And I'm sitting there, standing there at the cafeteria while we're all waiting for our food to be cooked. And I walked up to two federal agents and I said, tell me something. If you have someone under investigation, do you take the private information that you have and then you share it with the corporation? And he said, yeah, sometimes we do. Just like the Black Lives Matter movement and the organizers over there down in Los Angeles. Now, they were arrested, but they weren't really charged with anything. They sent letters, and they don't know if it's the Department of Justice, which probably didn't do it, and it was more than likely the Los Angeles Police Department or the LAPD, sent letters to these organizers' place of employment. And they were called in by their supervisors saying, what's going on over here? They say that you have a felony against you. Why? Because they want them to lose their jobs. Because part of the tactical operation is to choose career over cause, to neutralize that individual from being able to organize, to fight for social justice, to fight for a cause that you believe in. So that instead, they'll destroy your career. They will character and credibility assassinate you in the workplace. They will publicly humiliate you when you go out. It's a tactical operation. And what happened to Mr. Lede is exactly that. Oh, he's the one who, who uploaded that video. Okay, now we're gonna get our we're gonna retaliate against his ass. Now we got let's look up information. Boom. In quantum capabilities, in milliseconds, they have all the information they need. 
a profile of an individual. Okay, so what? here's this type of person. What type of tactical operation? Because we've done them to targets as target practice globally. So we have a Bible that we can call upon on how to psychologically fuck people over and destroy their human living lives. An operational guidebook. Every ethnic background, every socioeconomic, every rural town, every large city. Using targets who've moved, who fled. Community after community, city after city, state after state. And then they drop ship. Oh, hey, we got a group of white, we have a Caucasian community of upper middle class here. Let's see, let's flip through our guidebook on how to psychologically manipulate the target audiences, also known as the general public, to win their hearts and minds to their side and against whomever they claim is the enemy. And indoctrinate them to the point where they have been radicalized and will commit indiscriminate acts of violence against that targeted individual. Tactical operations. So then the target moves to another area where it might be, you know, middle class, multicultural, predominant religion might be this or that. So let's flip through our operational Bible. Okay, so it's this type of community, these type of people. Who are the target audiences? Who are, the, who are the leaders of those communities? Do a profile on those people. Okay, we know how to manipulate all those people now. Now we can win their hearts and minds. So then Target moves to another community. Oh, this one's lower income, predominantly minority. Let's flip through the guidebook. Let's find out who the community leaders are and what their likes and dislikes are and what their weaknesses are. That way we can manipulate that person who can manipulate his, his or her member base. Now we want their hearts and minds. Now they're targeting. Now their target moves to another area. Oh, this is, this is, these are, you know, lower income, southern, white, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what type of narratives, what type of negative false light narratives can we use in order to radicalize those people to hate that individual. These are all tactical operations. Narrative network teams. I've already covered shows about the Department of the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. That's a part of the Department of Defense. These are the best and the brightest. And they're looking for narrative network teams that can psychologically manipulate people based on a story about an individual or a group so that they can manipulate their member base or the people around to the point where those people on the outside basically become goddamn vigilantes. So anyway, this young man, Lede, the moment he told his story, it was right out, right fucking out of targeting 101. The pure and concentrated tactical operations of a domestic terrorist organization, state corporate and academia sponsored, sanctioned, and covered up. 
So it's not a game. People's lives are destroyed. So I'm going to play this video, and then I'm going to go back to another one where, where uh, Glenn Greenwald and Team Themis about oppositional research to destroy people or to get them to neutralize people. They're trying to neutralize people through character and credibility assassination. They're destroying innocent people who are being made to look guilty in the eyes of other people. Because remember, the power of suggestion to the power of association. So what is the power of suggestion? Well, this guy must be really bad because they're taking his ass out in shackles for parking violations. But see, nobody knows about that portion other than the fact that, thank goodness, Democracy Now! was willing to have an interview with him. And then once they did, all these other news outlets wanted an interview. It's that impression. And so if you have a team of people who are out there with unlimited funding to neutralize someone or to retaliate against someone, they are using these type of tactics. And everybody is fair game to these people. Even the people who worship them, like the dumbass civilian perpetrator community, nobody is exempt. Nobody. And the deeper, see, that what, the real, what karma is, is this perpetrator community thinks that they do all this stuff because somehow they're being recognized by these fucking sociopaths and psychopaths. So somehow they're exempt, but they're really not. Because all they're doing is building a larger dossier on every act of criminality that these civilians are doing on, for them. They're doing the dirty work. So your perps, really, they're, they're, they're so freaking stupid that it defies freaking humanity. They think that these people care about them. They don't give a flying fucking shit about anybody but themselves. So all these perps go and break and enter and they do flattened tires and vandalize property, you know, targets and things like that. They do all these criminal things like cyber hacking and all. These are all felonies. And these guys think, well, I'm protected, but you're really not. Because every act that you do, they just add it to your file. I call it the snitches who become the bitches for the states. And they never get out. So karma is a bitch. And what goes around does come around. But when you use innocent people like myself, who is a tar- who's target practice for these fucking assholes, so that they could protect, uh, perfect techniques. Look at how, look at, without even taking a heartbeat, they had all his information. And by the time he drove from Baton Rouge back to this, this Air Force base in Georgia, the theater was already set up. The operations were already in play. Why? Because now he gets humiliated. He might not even get this job at this point. All he did was upload a video. And yes, he had outstanding parking tickets, which 
he needs to pay. But all of that for some traffic violation or outstanding parking tickets is a crock of motherfucking shit, and everybody knows it. Except for these indoctrinated, because they'll believe whatever the person in a position of power, authority, and their expertise tells them. Because why would they ever lie? So this was Democracy Now! on July 13, 2016, uh, democracynow.org. And this is police arrest detained Air Force veteran for 26 hours after he posted Elton Sterling's shooting video. For the past week, protests against police violence have spread across the country. Tens of thousands have taken to the streets. Hundreds have been arrested. The, the protests began in the wake of the fatal police killings of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Philando Castile in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. story that has received little attention. What happened to the individuals who filmed and distributed the shocking videos of Sterling's death? We turn now to Chris Leday, who joins us from Atlanta, Georgia. He posted online the first video of the Alton Sterling shooting that went viral. He obtained the video from a friend of a friend. He shared the video with some 10,000 followers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Soon after the video went viral, Leday says he was detained at his job at the Dobbins Air Reserve Base. Police then led him from his job in shackles, held him for 26 hours. He was released after paying $1,200 in traffic fines. Chris Leday now feels his job is in jeopardy. He's joining us in Atlanta. Chris, welcome to Democracy Now! Explain what happened. How you got the videotape of the police killing of uh, Alton Sterling and what happened after you posted it? Thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, and originally, I'm from Baton Rouge, so that's why this hits close to home. I just live in Atlanta. Um, I received a video uh, from a girl who knew the young lady who shot the video, and being that I have a platform uh, that I knew that we could put it on to try to make it go viral, that was the main goal for me from jump. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Louisiana, we always have a high uh, public corruption rate. You know, we all we have the highest prison rate um, per head in the world. So it just goes to show how they always try to, you know, keep us in prison. Uh, a lot of oppression goes on. When I got the video, thing I wanted to do was just put it out there uh, because it was a cold-blooded case of murder, uh, clear-cut, and I wanted to put that on display for everyone to see so these cops can stop in the way with this type of idea. And when you said that you posted it because of the platform that you have, uh, uh, how have you uh, amassed this, this significant following on, on the various social media? Uh, I'm a musician, and I'm uh, rooted in the community. Um, you know, I helped a lot of other musicians that are popular now uh, uh, have success with their careers as well. So that's how I gained my following uh, strictly through the music business and uh, a lot of work that I've done in the area. So then after posting the video, tell us what happened to you. Um, I was coming back from, uh, I was actually in New Orleans uh, the night that the shooting happened. And the very next day when I received the video, uh, 
I went, you know, I was headed back to Atlanta that day to go to work. And when I come into work, you know, the protocol is uh, I, I don't have an official badge yet. So uh, because I've been at the job about a month and, uh, you know, the job is so flexible to the point where they said I, I was able to work whenever uh, I, could, I wanted to, which was one of the key factors of me taking that job. And, uh, you know, the protocol is if you don't have the paper, uh, the paper that, that, that gets you on and off the base, you, all you have to do is show your ID and you follow the person from uh, from the job to come up front and escort you on, which I did. And uh, I noticed that they were taking a long time with my identification. And as time passed, I saw the, my coworker come up front to the gate, and they would not let him come near me. They ended up keeping him about 40 to 50 feet away from me. And uh, when, when I tried to ask what was going on, they asked me to stand in a certain area. So literally, I'm just, uh, in, you know, confused as to why it's taking me so long to get on base because I'm really just trying to go ahead and go to work. And after about 30 minutes passed, I decided that, you know, I see all these extra cops coming up. There's more and more cops showing up. So I decided to take action into my own hands, and I put it on uh, Facebook. Uh, I tagged my mother and my father, and I let them know. I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm I'm surrounded by cops right now, both city and military. I'm not really sure what's going on, but uh, I want to let you guys know that if anything happens, I'm not resisting. And uh, basically letting them know that I was being cooperative because these days you can't really trust uh, the cops, just point blank. So I didn't know what was going to happen next. So I asked the cop, I said, am I being detained? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, um, for what? He said, we'll let you know here shortly, which is illegal to be detained without even letting us know what's going on. So they still didn't didn't give me a charge for why I was being detained. They come back several minutes later and tell me that I have an open warrant in Dunwoody, Georgia, for assault and battery as they're putting the cuffs on and somebody's reading me my rights. So instead of me overreacting, I stayed calm because I'm 6'3", I'm 270 pounds. Uh, I didn't want to give them a reason to slam me or put their hands on me aside from uh, putting the cuffs on me, and I kind of just chuckled. And I was like, I've never been arrested for this a day in my life. So it was all a shock to me. And what happened? Well, they escorted me. Dobbins um, Air Force Base did not have an official jail cell. So they took me to their headquarters and put, and put me in a room for over an hour and a half. So I'm, you know, questioning them about this charge. And they, lo they know little to nothing about how this charge came about. The cop told me uh, er also earlier that uh, I fit the description. And that was as vague as he was. I fit the description. I'm like, the description of what? He didn't follow up on that. They never said what I fit the description of. All they told me uh, eventually was about the case that I had for assault and battery, which I, I've never been arrested for in my life. Are so you still in shackles? Not yet. At this point, uh, I'm just in handcuffs. So they wait for Dunwoody police to show up, um, and the Dunwoody cop shows up, and he has all of my charges on paperwork, I mean, on, on his paperwork. So I just so happen to look over my shoulder and look down at the paperwork, and I see that there's no aggravated assault and battery on there. It's only traffic tickets that I had uh, from a couple of years ago that, that needed to be paid. And uh, I asked about the, uh, the assault and battery charge, and I said, well, what happened to it? And they simply said, oh, well, I guess not. And they left it at that. So the Dunwoody cop then decides to take it a step further and just swapping our handcuffs. He asked me to see my legs. 
So I'm wondering why he wants to see my legs. He puts shackles on my legs to uh, escort me from the military base to the Cal County prison. And before I walked out the door, I said, I looked at the cop who was in charge, which was a black man at the time, and I said, I said, really, bro? I said, 2016, and y'all still allowing us to get shackled? And the guy put his head down, and he didn't really have a response. He just put his head down and shook his head, and they escorted me to jail. So they came to a military base, arrested you, shackled you, uh, and it was all over traffic tickets soon after you posted this video. Yes, sir. And the crazy thing is an investigative reporter called me last night, and he said he called Dunwoody police to get down to the bottom of it. And Dobbin said that Dunwoody was looking for me, and they, they told them that they attached my name to the base, and they knew I was coming to work that day. So when I came, they should hold me. Dunwoody police told the investigative reporter that they never were looking for me. You know, it's just a case of, you know, which was strange to me because when it's a traffic uh, situation, you know, they catch you in traffic. And, and, Back in this country tonight, it's... Somebody sets up a sting operation to, uh, to, to detain somebody for traffic tickets. And that's the thing that I'm trying to make people realize. And so, Chris, did they ever mention to you the video that you posted online? They never did mention it. However, uh, DeKalb County told me that I wasn't able to bond out, even though it was traffic tickets. They said I had no bond, and they were very adamant about it. Customarily, you get to see a judge the next day uh, for things of that nature. And they told me that I would have to wait until next Wednesday which would have been a full seven days away to see a judge for this case. And so what happened? Um, my my son's mother, her mom is a lawyer. She ended up calling around and getting out to the bottom of it. All done what he wanted was the $1,200 that I owed him in traffic fines to uh, send the paperwork over to release me. But DeKalb County was uh, pretty adamant about saying I still didn't have a bond. So essentially, I was, um, they dressed me out. They ended up putting me in the orange jumpsuit. They assigned me to my own cell with a cellmate. They ended up fully processing me for something that I should have been able to just pay and get out of jail for. They ended up fully processing me. And at this point in time, I'm just playing the waiting game. So I just ended up going to sleep in the back and just waiting until, uh, luckily, they, uh, they sent the proper paperwork through, and they ended up letting me go. But they didn't. They did, they never said anything else about an assault and battery charge. Um, they never said anything about any any of the other matters that took place beforehand. Have you gone back to work on the military base? My job is still up in the air, and it's uh, contingent upon uh, the same people who arrested me for them to clear me to be able to come back on the base. So my job, uh, when I spoke to my supervisor the following day. Um, you know, they do a strict background check. It's called a security clearance. You have to have a security clearance to be able to work around these military planes. And uh, he said, you know, we, we, we know you're prior military, so we, we figured you knew better than to omit such information. And I was like, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't omit cert, uh, that cert that, that pretty much that information of that magnitude, I would never leave that off of my security clearance if I did have an assault and battery charge. So the, the, the guy even told me, my supervisor was speaking of, he said we weren't even worried about traffic tickets. That wouldn't have affected your job in the first place. You served in the military? In the waiting game. 
And after they left the store, they went to the movies together. You also need to be aware that Joe Sardraki has also received, has received death threats. He's received all type of negative uh, hate, uh, social media. Uh, uh, and, and so we need to get behind this Laflaki. We need to protect him. He's only an innocent victim in this matter. And yet he's being held responsible for what Baton Rouge City Police officers did. And, Mr. Porter, has there been any uh, reaction or communication between the Baton Rouge Police Department and yourself since, uh, 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 since your client was first grabbed and then released? None whatsoever. Abdullah Maslahi, um, do you feel you were right in making sure that the video that you took uh, got out and was seen by giving it to a TV station? Oh, certainly, definitely. Well, I want to thank you all for being with us. We will certainly continue to follow uh, what is happening um, with the family of Alton Sterling, uh, with the protests that are taking place in Baton Rouge, and in both of your cases, Abdullah Muflahi, who owns the Triple S convenience store outside which police killed Alton Sterling, and Chris Lede in Atlanta, um, who got the second video online. Uh, to show the police killing of Alton Sterling. Thanks so much for being with us, as well as Abdullah Maflahi's attorney, Joel Porter. This is Democracy Now! So that was the interview that they had. Um, I'll play the portion of uh, uh, Abdullah Muflahi. Uh, uh, he was the convenience store owner who happened to be a friend of uh, Elton Sterling. And that's why he allowed him to stand outside his store and sell those CD tapes. And what they did to him as a property owner, um, because he chose the videotape. And plus he had security cameras, and you'll find out what the law enforcement did. So meet uh, Abdullah Muflahi. Uh, he filmed Elton Sterling shooting and was then detained by Baton Rouge police. So it's about this filming. Um, you know, they got them glasses now. Target, all the stuff that they sell, all these little cameras and stuff that, you know, they're called action cams and things, Target's have been using those for years to document stuff. Way ahead of the game. But then when you're a victim of Target practice, you learn their tactical operations. Another thing, if you ever get called in, <clears throat> if, if at all possible, don't do it by yourself. Always have a witness with you, even if it means you're, you're taping. Like when I was called to um, the detectives at LAPD because there was some homeless guy, <clears throat> I thought they were calling me about the, uh, a resident that had a, a physically grabbed me and assaulted me, uh, but they weren't calling me, to, the detectives weren't calling to talk to me about that. Again, another theatrics on the part of LAPD. So I go in to talk to the detectives, but I made sure that I had a digital audio recorder stuck between my breasts in my bra, and I was recording the whole thing. And good thing I did because one of the detectives said to me, well, you didn't say that, and I couldn't tell him, well, can you hold on a second? Let me pull this digital audio recorder out of my, my bra, you know, between my boobs, uh, and let's rewind what you just said 
whether I said something or not. And I went through the recording and I didn't say it. But you know how they try to trip your ass up, right? So you don't have a witness if you're by yourself. So it could be their words against yours. And never talk to a federal agent without a lawyer present, and if, if at all possible, or at least a witness. So sometimes, like a target, we learn that we're our only witness and nobody's believing us, so let's get out the video recording or the audio recording to show. The synchronization, the directed conversation, the targeting, the public mobbing, you know, all that stuff. The domestic terrorist activities, state, corporate, and academia-sponsored sanctioned and covered up. But... You have to do that because it's, 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 it's they're, they're always, they always do things in groups. You have to understand. It's rarely that they'll do something alone. They do it in groups, so if they go to complain or whatever, it's their story against your solo story. So if you have your documentation with you, it's a lot harder for them to make up their shit. So I can tell the detectives at the LAPD, you know, <clears throat> can you hold, because we're in, you know, they take you into a room and they want to talk to you. Well, I'm innocent, so I don't have anything to hide. So, yeah, I'll go talk to your asses. But don't say that I didn't say something or say that I didn't say something when I know I did say something. Because then they try to trip you up psychologically, you know. <clears throat> so I said, well, I, you know, like I said, I couldn't stop the, the, the interview or the interrogation, so to speak. Um, by telling him, you know, I have a digital audio recorder going right now, and it's recording this conversation, and it's right between my breasts, because I am not about to allow you guys to lie about what you say and what I say. See, you don't let them shape your narrative. That's the one thing I have learned. Do not let this domestic terrorist organization state corporate and academia sponsored, sanctioned, and covered up along with their civilian recruited, indoctrinated sleeper cells to shape any narrative. That's why I do my show. That's why other targets do their shows. That's why other targets are documenting because nobody is going to shape the narrative, which is the story about who they are when they have created scenarios in order to suit the narrative that they want to tell about an individual. Fuck that shit. And that's what they do because they go on the circuit. And now that they have all their sleeper cells, you know, they just activate them when a target gets to that area. Anyone who's not going with this type of bullshit, fascist goddamn shit, They go after. They use intimidation, the smear fear, but they intimidate. They use psychological tactics. What did GCHQ about their information operation, which was the genesis of the Department of Defense's 2003 classified document? The five core military capabilities, the asymmetrical warfare. Somewhere in my, in my millions of pages of documentation, I have the technological roadmap that goes along with the information operation roadmap. I did my homework, and I studied the tactical operations that were being deployed and executed so that I can expose it, 
so that it makes it easier for the next terrified individual who's been blitzed. As GCHQ says, we blitz people, but with everything they have, whether it's technological, human intelligence, you name it, they blitz people to break them down. As they say, and they laughingly say, they could take paranoia to a whole new level. Psychological warfare. Tactical operations. A guidebook. An operational Bible at the expense of the human living lives of those targeted individuals who are being used for target practice. And non-consensual human experimentation. Psychotraumatology. Psychotraumatology is another tactic that they, they utilize. It's all written. Team Themis is another one that I will play after I play uh, this one interview. But at the end of the day, fuck you assholes. I'm going to see you guys rot in prison. And I'm never, ever, ever letting this go. Not fucking ever. You guys deserve to be on death row. And some of you deserve to be executed for treason. And I don't give a shit what type of position of power, authority, and or expertise you think you are in. Nobody's exempt. I believe in justice, and I believe in revenge. I don't believe in looking forward or moving forward and not looking back or letting go. I believe in the justice that needs to be served against the individuals who believed that they were above the law and targeted individual pe- individuals, innocent people, some of whom are not living today as they begged local, state, and federal agencies for their lives while they allowed their civilian sleeper cells to experiment with their tactics, techniques, and weaponized technologies to include weaponized neuroscience and neurotechnologies, biological, technological weapons of mass destruction. As I digressed. So let me get to um, the store owner and what happened to him because he believed it was important. Not only did he have security cameras, but he took out his cell phone camera and started documenting the incident. So those were the two videos. The gentleman, Mr. Lede, who uploaded for someone else that was there, and then the store owner. Dallas at a memorial service for the five Dallas police officers killed by the sniper. The shooter, Mika Johnson, opened fire at the end of an anti-police brutality march, killing five officers and wounding at least seven more. Obama urged the nation to reject despair, saying the country is not as divided as it may seem. I know 
know that Americans are struggling right now with what we've witnessed over the past week. First, the shootings in Minnesota and Baton Rouge, the protests, then the targeting of police by the shooter here. An act not just of demented violence, but of racial hatred. All of it's left us wounded and angry and hurt. The deepest fault lines of our democracy have suddenly been exposed, perhaps even widened. For the past two-week, protests against police violence have spread across the country. Tens of thousands have taken to the streets. Hundreds have been arrested. The, the protests began in the wake of the fatal police shooting of Alton, of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Philando Castile in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. Today, we look at a side of the Baton Rouge story that has received little attention. What has happened to the individuals who filmed and distributed the shocking videos of Alton Sterling's death? The videos show a Baton Rouge police officer pinning Sterling to the ground outside a convenience store, then pointing a gun at his chest and opening fire. Uh, a warning to our television audience, this, is, this video is graphic. That video was filmed by Abdullah Mafahi, the owner of the Triple S convenience store where Sterling died. He recorded it on his cell phone. Mafahi has since filed a lawsuit against the city of Baton Rouge, the Baton Rouge City Police, and four of its officers. The lawsuit alleges the police took his phone, locked him up for hours, and a police car seized his security camera footage in the store without a warrant. The lawsuit also contends Mufahi was prevented from making a phone call to his family or an attorney. He's seeking damages for false imprisonment and the illegal taking of his property, as well as for release of his store's security camera footage. Activists say this fits a pattern of police retaliation against people who dare to film police misconduct. In New York City, Ramsey Orta, who filmed the police killing of Eric Garner, is slated to go to jail for four years on unrelated charges, making him the only person at the scene of Eric Garner's killing who will serve jail time. We speak to Eric Garner's daughter, Erica, later in the show. But right now, joining us from Baton Rouge is Abdullah Muslahi, along with his lawyer, Joel Porter. Um, we welcome you both to Democracy Now! Abdullah Muslahi, explain what happened on that fateful day when Alton Sterling was shot dead by the police. Where were you? What did you see? Well, uh, it looks like we may have just lost the satellite connection to Baton Rouge, but we have it back. Abdullah, if you can explain what you saw. Um, by the time I got out, I got out uh, the store, they were already slamming him on top of a car and uh, taser, were tasering him. Um, that's when another officer ran and tackled him onto an SUV 
then both cops slammed him on the floor. Did you have your cell phone out at this time? When they slammed him on the floor, that's when I pulled it out and started recording. And, and what happened subsequent to that as you were recording? I'm sorry? What happened after that as you started recording? Uh, that's when uh, one of the officers screamed out gun and, and opened fire on him. And did they move? The, at what point did they become aware that you were there and, and moved towards you? Uh, after the shooting, after they had killed him, uh, one of the officers got up and uh, grabbed me and uh, when, um, when backup had arrived, they, he grabbed me and pushed me towards another officer and told him to put me in the back of a car. What was your reaction to what you were filming? I know it happened very quickly, but as you're filming, seeing the officers on top of Alton Sterling and then shooting him. I was in shock. I didn't know if it was real or if I was in a nightmare or I didn't know what was going on. Uh, he was an acquaintance of yours, wasn't he, the victim here? Yes. Uh, could you tell us how you knew him? Well, when I first moved down to Ben Rouge, he was selling CDs in front of the store that I first uh, started working at. That's how me and him actually met. Do you own the store now? Uh, this is a different store than from when I met him, and yes. And so now he was selling CDs in front of the store, the Triple uh, S, where uh, the police yeah. going took place. So what happened to you then? Um, what did the officers say? What did you hear them say? And what happened to you um, after Alton Sterling was killed? Well, uh, after the shooting, one of the officers uh, that was there, I'm not sure what he said, but the other officer that was close to me had said, just F him, just let him lay there, talking about Mr. Sterling. Uh, and that's when then they grabbed me and put me in the back of a cop car. You heard an officer say, um, F him, just let him lay there, using a curse? Yeah. Yes. Now, at some point while they had you in the car, they also went in to grab the, vid, the store video as well from your store. Can you explain what happened there? Well, at first, uh, they asked me if they could go and copy the surveillance, and I told them I would like to be present at the store if, uh, if they were going to go in there. Uh, they told me that it was impossible and that I couldn't watch the footage because I'm a witness. Uh, but they uh, they went inside my store anyways, and when they came back, I had knocked on the window and told one of the officers that was close by to tell them that I didn't want him inside my store without me without me being present in there. And that's when they came to me and told me that they were going to go get a search warrant and just uh, take the surveillance uh, camera. Did they get that warrant? Uh, I was never presented with a warrant at all. And so where were you taken? How long were you held 
Um, they took your cell phone, but you got it back. And did you post that video online that we watched? I, we, me and my lawyer ended up taking it to a um, uh, TV channel, a uh, news channel, and uh, gave it to them. And uh, Joel uh, Poirier, uh, uh, Abdullah's attorney, uh, could you uh, summarize your complaint, your legal complaint, and how you feel the officers violated his rights here? Well, they violated his rights in many ways. First of all, Mr. McClarkey was only an innocent person, a person who witnessed a horrible uh, killing. He was illegally detained for six hours four hours in the back of a hot police car, was not permitted to go to the bathroom. When he asked to go to the bathroom, he was escorted to the side of the building uh, by a police officer where he was forced to use the bathroom in the public uh, uh, site. Uh, he was not allowed to go back inside of his building. His, his business was commandeered for at least six hours. He was then taken down to police headquarters where he was once again detained illegally for two hours behind closed doors. This is not the kind of uh, activities how police officers should treat innocent people in society. Once again, he's an innocent victim, and my client believes that those responsible, Baton Rouge City Police, should be held responsible for illegally detaining him, for uh, illegally commandeering and seizing his building and the security equipment out of his building. And he just wants them to be held accountable. He wants America to know how he was treated, and uh, he wants somebody to be held responsible. And Mr. Porter, just to be clear, they didn't merely copy the surveillance video. They confiscated it, right? And they confiscated the entire security system. The entire the camera the and the video board. footage. They took the video footage and the equipment. What they did, they swooped down in an effort to control the evidence, in an effort to control the witness, in an effort to control the narrative. They swooped down, they grabbed all the witnesses, they grabbed my client, they grabbed the cell phone. Um, and uh, seized them, and that was once again in an effort to control the narrative of what happened. But they did not know that he had taped the killing, and uh, had they known that, he never would have gotten his cell phone back. And we thought that it was important that America see the violence that black males face in this society. Now, the authorities say they handed it over to the Justice Department, which has taken over the investigation here. Um, Joe Porter, what about that? Uh, it is my understanding that uh, DOJ is involved. Uh, there has been conversations with the FBI. I know they are involved. Uh, so, yes, it has been turned over. Can you, Abdullah Maflahi, as we show the video, Take us through what you are filming here. You've got these two officers. You came out when he was, uh, when Alton Sterling was on the ground. Is that right? And you then started. No, I came out while. No, I'm sorry. I I came out while he was being uh, slammed on top of a hood uh, of the car. And why did they say they were doing this to him? They didn't say anything. I didn't even know. He didn't even know what was going on. He was confused the whole time. And the whole time he was asking him, what did I do wrong? What's going on? 
But, but, I didn't do but just to be wrong. clear, when you say that you came out, he was on the hood of the car, you're saying they already tasered him before he went down to the ground in the video that we see. Yes. They tasered him after they slammed him on top of the hood. They backed off. They backed up off of him and tasered him. What and was that's the, when the other cop then ran and tackled him. Was Alton Sterling saying anything? He was telling them, what did I do wrong? He was pretty confused. He didn't know what was going on, why they, why they were there, or what, what, what happened to even, you know, have them out there in the first place. And, and, and the shooting that we see in the video, was that, were those the only shots that the police fired? Yes, six shots they had fired. We're going to break, and when we come back, we will also be joined from a man from Atlanta, Georgia, who posted video online of this very same shooting. Abdullah Maflahi's video and the video posted by this man are the two that we have seen of Alton Sterling's death. We'll so that's democracy now with the two uh, well, one of the individuals, the owner of the convenience store, uh, who filmed, and then um, Mr. Roday, who uh, uploaded the video <clears throat> on behalf of someone who ha had filmed it. And what happened to Mr. Roday was this whole tactical operation of once they know who you are, they, they uh, set up a protocol, and by the time he got back to Atlanta, it was all in motion. And that was to detain him from getting onto the Air Force Base where he has the, he must have a, a job as a contractor or was in the process of getting a job as a contractor. <clears throat> He's a former military Air Force. Uh, I think they said that he spent 11 years in the military and he was a part of uh, Air Force OIF and OIF is Operation Iraqi Freedom. And all he did was upload this video. So the retaliation, you know, was to the tactical operation <clears throat> is to get him in a public setting, put this whole drama on, you know, with law enforcement and everything. And it's that power of suggestion, power of association. So the people who are who who might be unknown to what's going on will view this person in a negative way. It's a psychological it's psychological warfare. So it's not just about the person who's being intimidated, terrorized, falsely accused, you know, <clears throat> and everything. It's also about the, the witnesses who are looking at it will have a, a negative opinion of that person. Even when he's found to be, you know, which he, it was for parking violations, not assault and battery. But then to be escorted out of the military base in shackles. That's to, to humiliate that person, to bring him down, but it's also the people who are looking at it. Oh, he must be a really bad person. Negative false light to create their narrative. It's like a hearts and mind campaign. <clears throat> so I've already documented all of it on my website. <clears throat> but this whole concept of destroying people, um, back in 2011, there was United, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, okay, and I think it was Bank of America, and they had hired a, a Hunton and Williams, which is a lobbying law firm, a very high-powered one in the D.C. area. And what they do is they do what's called oppositional research. Or they wanted to keep their people from looking negatively at what they're doing 
by going after the people who are trying to expose their dirty deeds. Okay? And so they, there was a group, H.V. Uh, Gary, <laughs> Palantir, and Barico Technology. So Palantir, it, it, part of this stuff with Palantir Technologies, these are all up in Silicon Valley, um, is, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? I'll come up with it. But anyway, he's a hedge fund guy, and he's, he's like a demon, man. This guy goes all over the place. And whenever you hear his name, you know, Peter Thiel. His name is Peter Thiel. And <clears throat> Peter Thiel was Facebook. He was one of the people that started Facebook, that helped um, Zuckerberg get Facebook going. Okay? So, you know, and th- but then he opened up this Palantir, which is they're pretty much Fortune 500 government, you know, military, uh, NSA, all those type of technologies, right, that they could utilize. And these are all private sector. So this is where I, you hear me saying state, corporate, and academia, hand in glove, working together. So anyway, Palantir technology. So you got to think about Facebook now. What was Facebook? I don't like Facebook. Why? Because all it is is a profiling for the for any of these agencies. You these people are putting all their information on Facebook. You're building a profile of people themselves. They don't even realize it's the best government tool that ever ever came to pass. And who is there? Peter Thiel. Well, Peter Thiel went on to this Palantir Technologies, which is even bigger in government contracts. He's a hedge fund guy. And that demon moved down to L.A. And I'm like, oh, i got to get out of L.A. now because this guy's trying to get into the, you know, there's some of these hedge fund people trying to infiltrate the entertainment industry. So anyway, what happened was um, there was a guy by the name of Aaron Barr. And he worked for H.P. Gary. And he started talking shit about Anonymous and how he was going to bring them down, how they had all this technology. So Anonymous got pissed off, and they retaliated, and they hacked all these emails. Well, within the context of these emails came out this information about this group who was proposing to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and I think Bank of America because there was, there was, a, there was something that went on where Bank of America, you know, with all the, the, crash, the financial crash and everything, they didn't want their reputation to go down in case this information came out. So they thought, well, maybe we'll hire these type of people who could do what's called oppositional research to destroy people. And they would target certain kinds of people. Organizers, you know, Glenn Greenwald was one of them, etc. And then they would get information on them so that they could destroy their reputation or they'd put out false information so they could discredit them for publishing false information. These are all tactical operations. But the genesis of these operations started with the Department of Defense. So this goes back to uh, um, 2011. Chamber.com has learned that U.S. Chamber of Commerce lawyers conspired with three private security firms to spy on chamber opposition groups and engage in dirty tricks in order to discredit the story. This was first reported by Think Progress on January 9, 2011, after it received 40,000 leaked emails. In the email, the Chamber hired the lobbying law firm Hunt Williams to represent them in matters. Its attorney, Richard White, and associates, John Woods, and Mackenbach, drew a private security 
collectively called Team Themis to develop tactics for damaging progressive groups and labor unions, including Stop the Chamber, Think Progress, Chamber Watch, SEIU, and even their staff. According to one document prepared by Team Themis, the campaign included an entrapment project. The proposal called for first creating a false document, perhaps highlighting periodical financial information to give to a progressive group opposing the chamber, and then to subsequently expose the document as a fake to undermine the credibility of the chamber's opponents. The Themis program was developed for military and intelligence use to target foreign terrorist operations and these firms now wanted to turn it inward on American citizens and domestic spying operations. Team Themis had a PowerPoint presentation detailing the lengths they were willing to go using their software to gather personal data on American citizens, often posing as an alias on social media to interact and spy on them. Themis software would use a proxy web crawl, and they would scrape Facebook, LinkedIn, and other social media sites for organizations and citizens gathering data on them, and even data on all of their friends they have connected with. The emails detailing all of this were posted by members of Anonymous, the hacktivist community responsible for taking down websites for oppressive regimes in Tunisia, Egypt, and American corporations that have censored WikiLeaks. This was in response to Aaron Barr, H.B. Gary, federal executive at the firm, had bragged that he had penetrated Anonymous and was hoping to sell the data to Bank of America and to federal authorities in the United States. The chamber has denied any involvement in the spying scandal, but emails prove that they were fully aware of the Themis plans. This is a clear case of domestic spying on regular grassroots Americans exercising their constitutional right to assemble and associate freely and every American should be concerned about our private data being scraped by domestic spying private corporations and being sold to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Stop the Chambers asked Congress and the FBI to investigate this outrageous attack on journalists, nonprofits, and unions. It is considering both civil action and bar complaints against those involved. To help us in our efforts to get involved on exposing the dirty tricks and the job-killing tactics of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, please go to stopthechamber.com. So it was one group, um, but they were willing, they were going to charge like $200,000 a month to do this oppositional research, including your family members. So say you were an organizer or whatever, and you had a family, they would even try to get the goods on family members so that they could try to get you to either stop or discredit you. And for me, that was the first thing I realized because I had been involved with the peace movement and I had no, I, many of organizations that I was involved with down in Los Angeles. And the first thing I realized was this is a character and credibility assassination of who I am. They're trying to shape a different narrative of who I am. So instead of running to those groups and asking for help, which maybe I should have done, what I did was I said, I don't want to ruin the hard work that these, these organizations are doing, these non NGOs, non-government organizations, because they do a lot in their neighborhoods in Los Angeles to you know, help bring awareness or fight for social justice in these lower income areas, et cetera. So if I'm being character and credibility assassinated and they're trying to exploit me, then what would happen is if I were involved with these groups, all the hard work they would do might become discredited 
because of what they have done to me. So I didn't go back to these organizations, and I knew quite a number of them. I mean, I was involved with several organizations down in L.A. when I was involved with the peace movement. But because I knew it was they were attacking me and my character and my credibility, then if I were to be involved with these groups, the first thing they could do was to try to discredit those or other larger non-government organizations. So I was already aware of the tactical operations way back in the early 2000s or when they went live in 2006. I knew exactly what they were up to. So that whole concept of know thyself is really important. And so when all these things come out after the facts of what I had already realized and documented to some extent, it just validates everything that I documented about what transpires, what continues to transpire against me, my life as a targeted individual. So here's an interview with um, Dylan Radigan back in 2011 with Glenn Greenwald because he was one of the people that were on the PowerPoint presentation of how they were going to go after him as a journalist and how they were going to get him you know, to try to destroy him or his character and his credibility, so whoever he was affiliated with would then be also a character and credibility assassinated. That was the first thing I realized. They're going after my character and credibility. They're trying to destroy my reputation. Now, if they do that and they have information somehow that they glean, even though I'm not a criminal, but they will use it or they will take, you know, excerpts of what I've said because I've had, you know, whatever... Then and they clip it together to make me look bad in the eyes of other people, and I'm trying to work with a, a, a non-government organization who's trying to do good within a community or within racial justice or social justice, and I'm working with that organization, but they have successfully assassinated my character, then you're going to harm the group that you're involved with. And, every, and I knew that's what they were doing. That's what they wanted to do. And that was to neutralize me from being involved in these organizations fighting for peace and social justice. Against the war, against the USA Patriot Act, or those provisions within. It was a hit job. On my website, I call it a hit job. Hitmen. Hired. With special skills to destroy or kill an individual. It's right on my website. So this is Dylan Radigan. I'm getting a cue from the control room. Thank you, Scott. On this episode of Radio Free Dylan, imagine a country where it was acceptable for private corporations to smear campaigns against domestic journalists to take what they were saying. Sound like Iran? America. Broadcasting from an undisclosed utility closet under 30 rocks. Issue issue. American oil money and American guns. You might have to what's going to happen, okay? The internet will never be the same. It is so obvious that the government does not work for the people of this country. This is radio. A mandate without reform. Free. Listen, Bobby, I'd love to help you, Jimmy. Dylan. Uh, welcome to episode 30 of Radio Free Dylan. Today we are joined by uh, one of the people that I see as perhaps the most effective or one of the most effective truth-tellers in American journalism today is Glenn Greenwald. 
uh, rightsforsalon.com. If you're not familiar, you should make yourself familiar, by my opinion anyway. Glenn, prior to his journalistic work, was by constitutional law and civil rights litigator here in New York, the author of three books at this point, How the Patriot Act, the Six, The Tragic Legacy of 07, and his most recent work, Great American Hypocrites. Glenn himself has become part of the news recently, as it was disclosed uh, that a campaign to smear uh, the journalists that were helping uh, to advocate for the transparency of organizations like WikiLeaks uh, had been pitched both to Bank of America and to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, and we welcome Glenn back into this particular forum. Uh, and if you don't mind, Glenn, before we get into the analysis, give us a little bit of just the broad brush here. What's going on here? Well, what, what basically happened is there's a internet security firm called H.B. Geary that does a lot of work for the government and for large corporations. They do internet investigations and internet security. And about uh, three months ago or so, there was a group of hackers around the world that called itself Anonymous. And what Anonymous did was they announced that any companies that targeted WikiLeaks for retribution um, would be targeted by these hackers, by Anonymous, for uh, retaliation. And so there were a variety of big companies like PayPal and MasterCard and Visa um, and Amazon that, in response to the U.S. government's pressure, terminated their services to WikiLeaks. They said, we won't process credit card payments to WikiLeaks. We won't, allow, we won't host their website. Um, we won't process payments to them. And so Anonymous... Um, this group of hackers targeted those companies and, and unleashed cyber attacks on them that slowed down their websites, a couple of cases removed them online from being online. So the head of the, this internet security firm, H.B. Gary, um, decided that he was going to investigate Anonymous, try and find out who they were, who was responsible for these cyber attacks, and he began publicly boasting um, that he had successfully infiltrated this group, that he had uncovered the identities of several of the key hackers. And unsurprisingly, um, when he ran around, after he ran around publicly posting about his success in infiltrating this group of hackers, um, the group of hackers, Anonymous, targeted him and his company, um, and they hacked into the email system of H.P. Gary and uh, downloaded roughly 50,000 emails from the company that they then published online about a week ago. And among the emails that were published, they just randomly published 50,000 of this company's emails. Among the emails that were published um, were a variety of proposals that H.P. Geary and other leading internet security firms had been pitching both to the Bank of America and to the Chamber of Commerce. In the case of Bank of America, they were proposing that various supporters of WikiLeaks, including myself, um, be targeted with smear campaigns, that um, our reputations be harmed and discredited, and that we be threatened in some way that our careers would be over if we continued to advocate for WikiLeaks. And in the case of the Chamber of Commerce, they advocated that adversaries of the Chamber of Commerce, like progressive groups and unions and activists who uh, speak against uh, the Chamber of Commerce, also be similarly targeted, and, and that their families should be monitored and discussed um, where they uh, went where they where their synagogues were, where their families went. Really odious, pernicious stuff, probably in some cases illegal. And what made it such an important story is that the firms that were involved are serious, legitimate players. I mean, these are not fly-by-night operations. These are, these are big companies that do a lot of high-level work for the government and for um, big corporations. 
uh, they were pitching it to two of the biggest and most important commercial entities in the country, Bank of America and Chamber of Commerce, and the key, the coordinating party, the one soliciting these proposals um, and encouraging them, um, was the law firm of Hunt and Williams, which represents the Chamber of Commerce and Bank of America and is one of the most well-connected lobbyists and, and legal firms in Washington, and it turns out that the U.S. government, the Justice Department, had actually re recommended that firm to Bank of America. They told Bank of America, you should hire this firm in your war against WikiLeaks. So there's a lot of big players, important, you know, serious players um, involved in what are really, you know, disturbing and, and likely um, criminal uh, proposals. Um, on behalf of really significant and, and well-funded corporations. So I, I just want to stop. But let's stop here for a second, just because even just what you just said is an immense amount of information. I just want to tear a little bit of this back to you to make sure that I understand it correctly. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, so if I was to you, a headline writer, am I correct in understanding that um, substantial, legitimate, serious, powerful private security firms were pitching Bank of America and the Chamber of Commerce a campaign for which they would be paid money in which they would assassinate the reputations and intimidate and threaten the well-being of targeted private individuals. Is that true? Yes, the journalists, activists, whoever it may be. But, but that, and that the, that the law firm that, was, that, that, that brought these private security firms in was recommended by the U.S. Department of Justice so it's on a recommendation from the DOJ that private and substantial security firms are being brought in to pitch smear and intimidation campaigns against those who support transparency in information. Fair? Yes, exactly. I mean, in their words, what they said was they could force journalists such as myself and activists to cease advocating um, these ideas, whether it's criticism of the Chamber of Commerce or advocacy for WikiLeaks, um, by forcing people to choose between what they call preservation of career over cause, meaning they're going to put people's careers in jeopardy or threaten to do so if this advocacy continues. That was the explicit rationale of these proposals. And, and basically they're saying, if you pay me money, this is HB Gary is one of the companies, and I want to avoid some of the names because there's so many I think it gets confusing. But these security companies, and we'll put the names up on the internet. It's not that I'm trying to protect their identity. I just don't want to confuse the conversation, believe me. Um, that they were saying, you pay me money, and those who are validating the efforts of WikiLeaks or the efforts of transparency, period, in the, the modern information world, we will uh, threaten their career such that they'll give up the cause if you pay us. Right. We'll investigate them. We'll find out dirt on them. Um, we will... Um, you know, destroy their reputation using all kinds of uh, schemes and techniques. But essentially, what you said is exactly right, that you pay us money and we will intimidate people from supporting, Wiki, uh, supporting WikiLeaks any longer. What they said was these individuals are critical to maintaining public support for WikiLeaks. And if they stop defending WikiLeaks, essentially public support will disappear. And, and this came out through another leak, which is the the, the irony, the ironic twist. In well, the one ironic twist is that it came out through a leak, and the other ironic twist is that these are internet security firms that help their expertise in providing internet security, and yet their email system was hacked. <laughs> is there has there been any comment 
whatsoever at this point are of, of consequence from either Bank of America, Chamber of Commerce, the security firms, or the Department of Justice acknowledging or denying the now leaked emails that expose the security firms, et cetera, for having pitched uh, for money a campaign to these companies to destroy the reputations and intimidate uh, individuals like yourself. Nobody claims that the emails are fabricated or anything like that. In fact, several of the parties acknowledge their authenticity. Um, the Bank of America and the Chamber of Commerce both deny having been told about these proposals, and they both denounced them as abhorrent and, and despicable and said they would never, of course, be involved in anything like this. The law firm that was actually soliciting these proposals and was involved in their construction on behalf of Bank of America and Chamber of Commerce simply refuses to comment. They won't return any reporters' phone calls. The New York Times wrote an article about this on Saturday. They refuse to respond to anything that any, anyone has asked in terms of their involvement. I'm getting a cue from the control room. To make you stop. So that was part of the HB Gary, uh, Palantir, and Barrico Technologies. And I actually read to you guys the um, the proposal. And part of that proposal said they had expertise in, or they had uh, the human intelligence along with uh, expertise in information operations. And that, that was just like a red flag because I had already, already written <clears throat> my letter. I had outlined what I believed was happening as it, for target practice against me, and that's when I sent my um, complaint to the Department of Defense, Inspector General, Waste, Fraud, and Abuse, and um, I, I outlined the whole thing about what was transpiring as a targeted individual. And after I hit the send button, two guys came out and they said, she nailed us. She nailed us. That was back in 2010. So even before this came out, I had already... Um, documented, and it's on my website. Um, it's my theory on uh, organized or gang stalking, you know, targeted individual. <laughs> so um, that was what happened in 2011. And then Chris Hayes, um, when was this one? This was in November of 2011. Another um, memo, went, uh, leaked memo came out, and this was to go after the Occupy Wall Street people. So you see, they're perfecting, they perfected techniques on how to do it at the expense of a targeted individual's human living life. And then they go broader once they perfect the techniques, once they know how to infiltrate any segment of society and win their hearts and minds to their side and then radicalize these civilians, or I call them sleeper cells, recruited sleeper cells, who can be activated whenever someone goes on the list and they happen to be in the geographic area where their sleep, civilian sleeper cells are. And then utilize the tactics, techniques, and whatever weaponized technologies are handed to them to deploy and execute. And because these people have been so radicalized into extremism, these neighbors, these community members, that they're willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence, vandalism, theft, torture, terrorism, mobbing, intimidation. That's all terrorism. 
<clears throat> so this was Chris Hayes about another group that uh, was being solicited to um, do oppositional research. They're hit jobs. That's what I called it on my website. And here in 2011, they're calling it hit jobs. exclusive. Speaker Boehner's lobbying buddies are proposing a hit job on Occupy Wall Street. This week, here at Up, we obtained a memo written for the American Bankers Association that lays out a plan for a nearly $1 million campaign against Occupy Wall Street and any politicians who might express sympathy for Occupy Wall Street, including specific Democratic politicians in contested races. The memo was prepared by the Washington lobbying firm Clark, Lytle, Gedeldig, and Cranford, or CLGC for short. Two of the partners at the firm are former aides to Speaker John Boehner, and the firm's website boasts of its closeness to the current speaker. Prepared as a pitch document for the American Bankers Association, a client of CLGC, the memo lays out the political threat Occupy Wall Street poses for the banks and their sworn defenders in the Republican Party. Democratic victories in 2012, the authors write, would mean more than just short-term political discomfort for Wall Street firms. It has the potential to have very long-lasting political, policy, and financial impacts on the companies in the center of the bullseye. So here we have, in black and white, former Boehner aides who now lobby for Wall Street, admitting Democrats will be tougher on Wall Street, and they also admit that Occupy Wall Street and emboldened Democrats might push Republicans to distance themselves from Wall Street's bigger firms. The bigger concern, in the words of the memo's authors, quote, should be that Republicans will no longer defend Wall Street companies. In order to head off this terrifying eventuality, the memo proposes a program of opposition research on Occupy Wall Street activists, which, quote, will also identify opportunities to construct fact-based negative narratives of the OWS for high-impact media placement to expose the backers. They admit that individual companies under threat by OWS and its adoption by Democrats likely will not be the best spokespeople for their own cause because, well, everyone hates the bankers. So the former Boehner aides who now lobby for Wall Street sketch out a strategy of deploying proxies to shield for Wall Street and against Occupy without the public knowing. The former Boehner aides also urge big banks to punish politicians who target them early on in order to send a message. Quote, a big challenge is to demonstrate that these companies still have political strength and that making them a political target will carry a severe political cost. And they say that a strong media placement early in a transition to adopt the OWS movement will send a powerful signal about the risks of carrying that through. One goal of this campaign, the former Boehner aides turned Wall Street lobbyist right, is to, quote, provide cover for political figures who defend the industry. They are proposing a campaign using Wall Street money to defend Wall Street's political allies and specifically targeting Democratic politicians for re-election who might stand up to Wall Street, naming Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown and identifying Senate races in Florida, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Wisconsin, and New Mexico for targeting as well. It was always clear that if Occupy Wall Street began to have some success, it would precipitate a massive backlash from the powers that be. And now we've seen this week, as I said, the empire strike back. We placed a call to Clark, Lytle, Gedeldig, and Cranford to ask them about the memo, and they did not respond. The American Bankers Association told us, quote, our government relations staff did receive the proposal. It was unsolicited, and we chose not to act on it in any way. 
Nevertheless, what's contained in this short memo are all of the most craven, corrupt, and insidious forces of the status quo coming together to squash Occupy. In fact, the document represents just about everything wrong with America in four short pages. We have a lobbying firm whose webpage glowingly advertises that Sam Gedeldick, a former Boehner staffer, quote, knows how to kill legislative threats to his clients, drawing up a battle plan for the financial industry and its 1% members to use their deep pockets to attack the Occupy movement and protect the bank's financial interests by creating, quote, political cover for bank-friendly politics. And while doing this, they would, of course, have the help and connections of fellow partner Jake Cranford, who just a few short months ago was working as a policy aide to Speaker Boehner. Here's the thing to consider. This is the most important point. This is just one memo from one firm that we just happened to get our hands on. Think for a moment of how many similar documents are floating around out there, how much money and power is being amassed to make sure that Occupy Wall Street is just a brief fad, a quirky cultural moment we'll all vaguely recall years hence. That's if the 1% get their way. We'll post the memo on our website, up.msnbc.com, after the program's over. I'll be talking about the story on weekends with Alex Witt right after the program and on up tomorrow, Senator Sherrod Brown. So that was another hit job. <clears throat> and so what it is is that these people with money utilize their access and they abuse those positions to destroy people, to neutralize them. So when this happened with this Mr. Lede trying to get back just because he uploaded one of the videos of, of, of Sterling, you know, he goes back to try to get, go back to this job that he has at the Georgia Air Force Base, and there's this whole theater going on, like street theater. It's all set up to set him up. And it's not just because you're humiliating that person or, you know, it's that whole concept of career over cause, uh, these type of threats and intimidation. But it's also all those people, those other people out there who are seeing this guy being detained and then being after he's, you know, with all the police and everything. And they make sure that everybody sees it, you see, so they can exploit that individual to shape the narrative that they want. And they utilize their access, like Talentier. You know, Peter Thiel is one of the, the top hedge fund people out there. Corporations, state corporate. And then you have academia, sponsored, sanctioned, and covered up. This side of it was the corporate side, working hand in glove with the government side, or I call it the state. All this corruption. But destroying individuals. And those people not having the means, in many cases, to fight back. That's why targets are spread out all over the place. So it's harder for them to collectively come together. They destroy them financially. That's one of the first hits that you get, is financially. See, even before they went live at the workplace at Sony Pictures Entertainment, I had already been audited by the IRS. They jacked up all my credit card rates. These are all trying to put a financial hit on you. 
so that you worry about those things so you stop doing what you're doing. And you're not doing anything bad. Retaliation. Like what Mr. Lede had happened to him. He uploads a video and instantaneously he's on the radar. And because it was a military base, and so in the Washington Post article about Mr. Lede, it was the military who called the local law enforcement. Why? Because right after that was uploaded, they all come together. The fusion, you know, the fusion centers, local, state, federal, right? Military, private security. They fuse together. We got seven in the state of California. They are field and beta testing from the borders of the north to the borders of the south to the inland. Seven fusion centers. Most states only have one. Some have two or three, like Texas, because it's a large state. California has seven fucking fusion centers. They are gridding this place from the north to the south, from the east to the west. And they're recruiting their personnel and their civilian snitches and sleeper cells. But it's about that character and credibility assassination. So I'm going to read something because this is one of the things that came out in the Snowden leaks and it was published on the NBC News. The Snowden files British spies. So the British equivalent of the National Security Agency is the GCHQ. But when they talk about information operations, that is the Department of Defense, as in the United States Department of Defense, and their information operation roadmap, a 2003 classified document that came out. And then it was declassified in 2006. So the Snowden Files British spies use sex and dirty tricks. So then they give these slides. GCHQ, the British Signals Intelligence Agency, prepared the following slides for a top-secret spy conference in 2012 describing cyber operations. The slides focus on the efforts of a unit, the Joint Intelligence Threat Research Group, or JTRIG. According to the documents, JTRIG conducts honey traps since adversary computer viruses deletes their online presence and employs several other tactics. Documents previously published by NBC News show JTRIG engaged in cyber attacks on the hacktivist collective known as Anonymous. Slides were leaked by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden and obtained exclusively by NBC News. NBC News is publishing the documents with minimal redactions to protect individuals. The presenters note uh, for the slides are included. So Signals Development Conference 2012, Cyber Integration, The Art of the Possible. And then it says JTRIG has the following core functions, covert internet, in, uh, internet investigations, forensic investigations and analysis, active covert internet operations, including online humanit or human intelligence and effects, covert technical operations, provisions of unattributed internet access, and development of new capabilities. Explanation of the baseline for JTRIG related work and makeup. The structure of JTRIG, Operation Technical, JBOS, mentions the Online Covert Actions Accreditation Program commenced September 2011 initially for JTRIG staff 
a small number of ISD analysts now being accepted on course. So information and influence operations, or info ops, right? Online human, or online human intelligence, uh, distribution, and CNA, and CNA is computer network attacks, okay? Briefing to be provided by, and then had a name. Development of new capabilities, capabilities being developed to access data from various internet services, how these data sources may help to mitigate the loss that passive access could suffer to encryption, et cetera. How to look further at integrating or fusing these data sources into our analytics stores and workflows. Effects, okay, what type of effects would happen if they utilize this electronic warfare? Okay, so electronic warfare is one of the five core capabilities. And from within it, you have computer network exploitation, computer network attack, right? So you can exploit the computer that the person is using, or you can attack it. You can use distributed denial of service or DDoSs. You know, they can, they can use a, like a, a jamming device so that they disrupt your signal. These are all electronic warfare. This is all military. So using online techniques to make something happen in the real or cyber world, two broad categories, information ops or information operations, influence or disruption, and technical disruptions, known in GCHQ as online covert actions. The four Ds, deny, disrupt, degrade, or deceive. Key statements, okay, online covert actions, how to. Bombard their phones with text messages. I've had those. Bombard their phones with calls. Delete their online presence and block their fax machines. SMO examples from Afghanistan significantly disrupting Taliban operations, sending targets a text message every 10 seconds or so, calling targets consistently on a regular basis. Ability to delete a target's online presence. So what it is is, they, and they've done that, because on my Twitter account, I had, when I first set up my Google Plus account, I had a web you know, they, you're assigned a web address. If you click that on my Twitter account, you'll find that you won't get the same information from the Google Plus because someone changed the address. So how, you're deleting all the information that I had on a main link that you could, have, you could do for my Google Plus for my Twitter account so that it would have all my collective information put together. And they, they, they changed the web address so that when you click it, it, it comes up with just the picture. So if people are looking for more information, they can't find it anymore because they fucked around with that address. So you're trying to delete the original information that can link you to all this information that I tell you about that I've already documented and linked somewhere. Source the information. So that's what they do. Um, set up. A honey trap. So you know what a honey trap is, right? So if you're a guy and they use a woman or if you're a woman, they use a guy and then they try to get you in a compromising situation or whatever so they could blackmail your ass. It's basically to blackmail you. And that's what a lot of this is. A lot of this, this, it's not the war on terror. It's the war on information. And the more information you have, the more you can exploit somebody, especially if it's someone in a position of power, authority, and or expertise, and you need them to go your way because you have an objective. So these are all objectives, right? When you talk about a roadmap, you're talking about, you know, your start point and a destination. And once you reach the destination, then you've, you've completed the task. 
So information operation roadmap was not just about some funky, you know, five core military capabilities and you could forget about it. It was a roadmap. And part of that roadmap was domination of the electromagnetic spectrum. What does that mean? Land, sea, and air, right? Any forms of communication, right? Anything that runs off the electromagnetic spectrum, they want domination of. Even your appliances will run off the electromagnetic spectrum. But if you put a chip in there, now they can listen to you in the privacy of your home. Your television, your washing machine, your cell phone, your internet connection, your computers, your, your um, iPads, your, your radio, those all run off the electromagnetic spectrum. And the military had a, had a roadmap, has a roadmap. They've already, they basically have met their destination. Now it's just about domination of the world. We've had a, we had a military coup d'etat in this country after the first Bush administration, and nobody's willing to admit it. We're under a military occupation in the United States of America. So change their photos on social network sites. Write a blog purporting to be one of their victims. So you can go back to my website, and the first page says, were you given a, you know, a, a social network, right, a place on a social network that depicted the target in such a negative way that it compelled you to join forces? That's on my fucking website. Before the Snowden leaks, how, do, how did I know? Because how did the word spread so fast? Well, you had to use social networking in order to do it. A negative false light with carefully selected pieces of information. What did I say? They take the good and make it look bad, and they, they, take, they take the good and make it look bad, and they take the bad and make it look worse. Uh, email or text their colleagues, neighbors, and friends. So then you start getting other people involved with it, right? So that you can show the negative side, so that you can shape the narrative, so that you can win their hearts and minds, so that they'll go along with it. Plenty trap a great option, very successful when it works. Get someone to go somewhere on the Internet or a physical location to be met by a friendly face. JTRIG has the ability to shape the environment on occasion. So I move here, and then these type of groups. Now, this is the British equivalent, but the United States has been doing it for years. The Department of Defense has been doing it. They have used American soil as their training facility and as their experiment in social engineering. Um, photo change, you have been warned, JTRIG is about, can take paranoia to a whole new level. Okay? So I called it a go-live, an overt, in-your-face go-live. That's what I, I considered it when they went live in my workplace at Sony. They blitzed me. But I didn't know the term blitz until I read these classified documents that were leaked. I said it was an overt. So there was covert when they were doing the profiling and they were building and shaping how they were going to destroy someone 
by following their life and then shaping that narrative so that they could go out in a hearts and minds campaign to win over the target audiences that they needed in order to get them to do what they wanted them to do when they wanted them to do it. That's InfoOps. <clears throat> so again, can take paranoia to a whole new level. Okay, these are the highest levels of the British equivalent to the National Security Agency. So, you can't call someone paranoid if people are actually fucking with them. Why do they use that term? Because they blitz you, or I call it the over-go-live or over-go-live in-your-face targeting, where you are every, whether it's your telephone, whether it's your computer, whether it's your internet connection, whether you walk out in the street, whether you go to a store, whether you go to work, everything it goes live. And it will take paranoia to a whole new level. Psychological warfare, psychological terror, terrorism, intimidation. These are, all, these are all definitions for terrorism. So blog writing has worked on a number of different operations. One example is on a serious crime blog. Uh, it's a, a serious crime something. One example on Iran work, email and text, infiltration work, helps JTRIG acquire credibility with online groups. Investigation. So then it goes on, leak confidential information to companies, the press via blog, etc. Post negative information on appropriate forums. Stop deals. Ruin business relationships. Info ops or information operation style work. Use of open source info and or releasable signals intelligence items. Attempt to inform the public where necessary government protected environment. First stage of disruption and or discrediting companies, organizations, and or individuals. Okay? So using me as so this is back, this is what they're doing. This was like a 2010 or 2012 slide. Okay? I'm in 2006, seven. They're going live. What are they doing? They're target practicing. They're training personnel on how to utilize these tactics. But they're destroying somebody else's human living life. Stop, divert the flow of funding, introduce panic, etc. So they mess with you, right? So what, before I knew what they were, what they were doing, uh, they were breaking into my car, they were flattening my tires, I was being audited by the IRS. They jacked up all my credit card rates so that they were putting a pinch on me financially. Then they went into the workplace and set up shop at Sony. And they guided my peers and management at Sony on how to target me in the workplace. I was terrorized out of my job. <clears throat> Place secret information on a compromised computer. Send secret information across a network visible to signals intelligence. Provide secret information through an online agent. So they're setting people up. Like pornography, 
you know, child porn or whatever. You may not be doing it, but they can set you up to make it look like you're doing it. And then they go out and they go to the public and say, that's what the person is doing. Work alongside CNE, which is Computer Network Exploitation, CNE. Use of various masquerade-type techniques. Placement of potential damning information where appropriate. Visible networks. Shape the environment so that signals intelligence can provide DBA for operation. I don't know what that is. Use of reliable information. Online agents. Use of online aliases to good effect. Visibly shaping the online environment. So if you want to go after someone, you just get all these, they're sock puppets, right? <clears throat> There's another thing that the Department of Defense has, and it's called Sock Puppets, and it's a Los Angeles-based company. And what it is, is that you're one operator, and you become 10 different people, and they have it so that if they were to trace the network, it would look like you were someone coming from all over the world. So you could have a group of 50 people. Now you become 500 people saying that they hate me, the target. And they've all had these bad experiences, but there's really only 50 people that are sitting at a, a, a you know, um, a, a office space in the military or whatever, and they're all talking shit. And they're pretending to be these people from all over the place. So it's going to help recruit other people into the fold. But they don't realize that it was one person that got to be 10 different personas. This is, all this, this is all this manipulation that goes on. And people are so fucking stupid that they don't realize all this manipulation that's going on. And this is all sourced information. So if a sock puppet is going to do propaganda and you're one person that becomes 10 or maybe even 50 different personas, that means you become 50 different people. And then you, you set up a blog or something about me, the target, and you start saying all these negative things. And then you send these innocent people that you're trying to recruit into the fold to go to this website. You should see what all these people are saying about her. And you don't even know that 99% of it were all sock puppets, which means that they're not real individuals. They're just one person pretending to be all these different people. That's a military capability. <clears throat> Conduct a denial-of-service attack on their computer. Virus sending, use of various JTRIG tools, including ambassador reception, has been used in a variety of different areas, very effective. Active collection techniques, use of active techniques to collect intelligence required to map out who does what, what institutions, etc., are being used, what companies, who sets up the website, how do they communicate between ministries and or each other? How do they communicate to investors? How do they store information? Some basic questions that are normally associated with scoping potential active operations. In essence, intelligence analysts use signals intelligence to answer the pattern of life questions. But do they know the online pattern of life for their target set? Do the analysts know not just what their target is doing, but what it is or what is it thinking. Impact effects. 
how do we measure the impact of effects? Okay, how does it affect, right? Blitz. This is where I learned the term blitz. I, called, I used to call it overt in your face. Go live, overt in your face. Everything is thrown at you. And that's what they did to me when they went live in the workplace. When they went live, but it was mainly in the workplace at Sony. This is when they went live. But I didn't know the term blitz. I just called it overt in-your-face targeting. But now I know the name of it. Because these top-secret documents told me what it is. Blitz-style approach. Creating as much disruption as possible within a short period of time. More subtle approach. Effects used less likely to be detected, therefore more suitable over a longer period of time. So you blitz someone, you create as much disruption in the work, when you drive on the road, when you come home, when you go to the store, all the delays, all the, you know, removal of the shelf, all that type of shit, okay? That's blitzing a person. It's a tactic. It wasn't made up by these fucking assholes and these civilians who think that they know fucking everything. These perpetrators are used by handlers. So this civilian group thinks that they're this organic group that naturally came together as a civilian population against this one person because they created everything. And that's how fucking stupid your perpetrator community is. They didn't come up with anything. It was all provided to them by professional professionals who are experts in how to do it. Pros provide an opportunity for JTRIG analysts to be more actively involved with ISD counterparts, enable further upskilling, for example, C2C, etc. Provide JTRIG analysts with the opportunity to identify CNA or computer network attack type operations options to a lot earlier in operations. Provide ISD analysts a greater baseline and understanding of JTRIG work. An opportunity for analysts to learn new ACNO skills, for example, online human, humanit or human intelligence. The cons. Current lack of JTRIG IT infrastructure on the general floor plate. Lack of wider resource investments. Lack of overall training and support resources. Integration process will be resource intensive for CDO. So this came from the Snowden leaks. So there, I, I, I challenge any psychiatrist out there, because I'll have your license when I'm finished with you. Because nobody, nobody but a victim or someone who does the operations themselves knows the amount of information that documented the information before the Snowden leaks came out. So I don't work for these motherfuckers, and I never would. Because they're crooked as all shit. And personally, I think they're treasonous traitors to this nation and that constitution. That's my government, that constitution. But a victim who analyzed 
what was being done to them and then put it into words to come up with the same information that a classified leak would come up with. But all your civilian perpetrators who think their shit doesn't stink and they're so fucking smart, they don't even, they're so goddamn stupid, they don't even realize that they've been handled by an expert who got them to believe that they came up with everything. That's how ignorant your perpetrator community is, no matter how smart they think they are. I call them the one core capabilities. They couldn't even make it past PSYOPs of the five core military capabilities before they picked up whatever tactic, technique, and or weaponized technology was handed over to them, and they fired them indiscriminately at an unarmed, defenseless, innocent human being. So again, nobody could publish a website who didn't have this information but was a victim of these tactical operations and put it to words before the classified leaks came out. And that goes for all these other targets out there who have documented for years, not because we're delusional, but because we took the tactical operations that were being utilized and put them into words. Even before the leaks came out. I challenge any fucking psychiatrist out there because I'll have your fucking license before I'm done with you. You will never practice again. But don't you ever call me a name and think I'm going to let you get away with it. So you have to understand the operations and what was done to Mr. Lede for uploading a video and what they did to humiliate him in an operation that was already set up because once he uploaded, the first thing they did was find out who did it. And then they go through their quantum capabilities to get every piece of information they can so then they go back by the time he gets back to the military base to go to work, they have it all set up to humiliate and discredit in the eyes of other people. It is a tactical operation, and they have used targeted individuals for years to perfect their techniques, to turn their experimental technologies into fully operational devices and to destroy individuals, to experiment. But not just on targets, but on the society around them to see how many people they could manipulate to do their bidding and their dirty work for them so they could have plausible deniability about what they truly deployed and executed on the streets of America. You better believe these motherfuckers have committed treason against this nation. And they're doing it now indiscriminately whenever they want to neutralize an individual. You don't have to kill someone to neutralize them. You destroy them financially. 
See, all targets know about that. You could talk, talk to any target out there, and they'll tell you about how they go after them financially. What did that fucking bitch say at Sony when they went live? How long are we going to do this to her? Oh, that's right. We have more money than she does. There are things you don't ever forget. And the one thing that I will never forgive is this targeting. But when I see it being done wide, they're going wide now. This isn't about just these small little core people. They're going wide on anyone. And like Kusin had said, everything in this country is up for the auction of the assassins. But I'll be goddamned if I'm going to be silent to these motherfucking state corporate and academia-sponsored, sanctioned, and covered-up fucking terrorists. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.